0: I'm Rebecca Vega, and this is My Sober Life. Welcome back to another episode of My Sober Life. Thank you for joining me today. I'm not going to do too much preamble before we jump into today's story, but I did want to let you know the content warning on this is quite legitimate. There is a specific description. About attempting suicide. And if that is something that you feel like you cannot handle, I would recommend skipping today's podcast. I want to respect where everyone is in their trauma. And it took me a lot of years to be comfortable talking about this particular incident. And it will likely be something that we'll revisit again later on. But for now, We will just start this episode. Thank you for listening. Today I'm going to tell you a story about when my reputation evolved into something I could no longer control. One morning, while walking into school, I was stopped in the parking lot by a boy who told me that he'd heard about me and another boy I had previously dated that morning. I heard about you this morning. I just looked at him, flummoxed. I wasn't with him this morning, I said, and tried to continue walking. No, I mean this morning. I heard about you two, he jeered with a wink and a smile. I kept walking. What does that even mean? It means that private details of a personal relationship were now public. It means the choices made by two consenting partners were up for scrutiny and ridicule, and it meant open season on my character and reputation. If you knew me then and have no memory of this, or if you think I'm over-exaggerating, I was right with you. I had completely forgotten about this until a reality check brought it all back to the present. I was at a high school alumni happy hour about, oh gosh, it's probably like seven or eight years ago now. And after a couple of rounds of drinks, a woman with whom I graduated confessed to me that she had hated me in high school. I was pretty shocked by this revelation because, I felt we'd always had a friendly relationship and banter, and when I asked her why, she said it was firstly because I dated a boy she had liked, but secondly, because she too had heard rumors about me, and because of them, she thought I was a disgusting slut. And She described it to me, a very specific night about very specific acts in a very specific location. I remember feeling taken aback by it, like, How? How do you know this? And then later, when I was thinking back on it, I remembered those words in the parking lot. I heard about you two this morning. When she finished, being proud of where I was emotionally, I said, Well, that rumor is true, but I won't be ashamed by it. He was my boyfriend. We made mutual, consensual decisions. From the vantage point of our 30s, it all sounded so well, high school. We all laughed about it and changed the subject, but just having the conversation reminded me of the scorn, disgust, and disgrace that were authentic at the time. I was the slut. He was the hero. I was easy. He was a stud. The aftermath of the release of this information into the school was subtle yet slithering. A boy in the hallway making rude graphic noises at me. The boy sidling up next to me asking under his breath if I would get on my knees for him. The leering. The whispers. The gesticulating. For most of high school, I felt I was in control of my narrative. I was careful about what I shared and with whom. I didn't even tell my best friends about the intimacy of that relationship when it was happening. And unexpectedly, that right was taken from me. Not only was I a slut, I was a slut who had kept secrets. I lost my power. I could not see a way to live through it. And I wanted out. I had previously pondered the idea of suicide during my sophomore year. I had talked about it openly with a couple of friends. I wrote about it in an English class and I thought February 29th was a perfect day because my death could only be mourned every four years and it just so happened to be a leap year. I truly, honestly believed I could just check out and everyone else would be better off without me. Those friends didn't like how I was talking. They told their parents who told my parents, and I was pulled out of biology one day to go to the principal's office where my parents sat, waiting. A short conversation, and then I was whisked off to therapy. I lied to the therapist for a couple of months, convinced my parents I was never serious, and we moved on. But as anyone who has experienced suicidal thoughts can attest, they never go away. But it wasn't until that day, during my senior year, I thought about it again, seriously. I had learned my lessons from before, though. I couldn't talk to anyone about it. I had to act like everything was normal, that I was normal. I had to keep my chin up, my cheeks from burning with shame, and laugh it all off. I picked a random day of the week. I took a bottle each of aspirin and ibuprofen from the cupboard and a few beers from the refrigerator and hid them in my bag, calling over my shoulder to my mom that I was going to finish my homework in my room. I played Dave Matthews' band and Red Hot Chili Peppers and wrote down the lyrics to Rhyme and Reason and My Friends as my suicide note. I cried and cried as I swallowed handful after handful, washing them down with Coors Light. As I crushed the last can and hid it away in my room, the tears finally ebbed and I fell into my bed. I looked around my childhood room and remembered it all. The good, the bad, the fights the celebrations, the pain, the abuse, the loneliness, the broken heart, the impenetrable shame, the absolute clarity that this is what I wanted. I didn't want to feel anything anymore. I was ready to fall asleep and drift peacefully into oblivion. Violent agony awoke me a few hours later. Something was tearing through my insides. It was ripping at my abdomen, clawing to get out. I was disoriented from the beer and pills. What was happening? Why did I feel so sick? Oh, right. I was trying to die, but my body was having none of it. Get it out, it screamed. I crawled to the bathroom, barely in time, as the poison I had put in my stomach raced up my throat and out of my mouth. For over an hour, I retched, sweating profusely, lying limply against the cold, smooth surface of the porcelain god. The noise finally woke my parents, and after one look at me, my mom yelled for my dad. We're taking her to the hospital. Now! I gazed, unseeing, deep into the water, and slowly, a lone, solid pill at the bottom of the bowl came into focus. I used my last strength to reach up and flush. I had to save my parents that shame if I could. They dragged me still heaving into the car and put a bucket in my lap as they drove me to the nearest emergency room. There are blurred, hurried memories of nurses pulling off my clothes and getting me into a gown, one wrapping a blood pressure cuff, the other prepping my vein for an IV. Severely dehydrated and still vomiting, I hunched forward, head between knees, trembling with cold. They administered medication to stop me from throwing up and bag after bag of saline. They piled on heated blankets, the weight of which was so soothing, and sleep finally overtook me. Many hours and five IV bags later, when the doctor agreed I was stable enough to go home, my parents were still bewildered by what was wrong with me. He just shrugged. There seems to be a weird flu going around. This is the third case we've had like this. She's going to be fine. She just needs to take it easy for the next couple of days. Not realizing I'd been holding my breath, I exhaled in such relief. I don't know if the doctor knew exactly what I had done and was saving me, or if there really was a virus going around. Either way, my parents didn't know. They would never know. Two days later, I was back at school. I've tried two other times to take my license that day. I've been to two funerals in the past five, six years where someone died by suicide and no one around them had any inclination every person was shocked and saddened. And I do think that is on purpose. If someone is truly serious about taking their life, they will never say a word. I was lucky my naivete and lack of internet didn't provide me with a more fatal combination of pills. I was lucky someone cared enough to try and break the window of a car as I sat slowly inhaling carbon monoxide, jarring me awake and putting me face to face with the effect of my actions. I was lucky, but I caution you. Never assume you know someone completely. I still think about dying, more than I'd like to admit. It has taken me a long time to treat myself with care and consideration, to trust I am enough, to know my reputation and character are defined by my actions and how I treat people who can do nothing for me. I have worked excessively hard, every day, to fight the inner demons of scarcity and perfectionism. It is a practice, and will be for the rest of my days. Every day, I have to make a choice. I choose to face my pain and invite it in, get to know it, wrap my arms around its shoulders and feel every difficult inch of it, even though it is excruciating some days to want to stick it out. I choose breath and heartbeats. If you or someone you know is thinking about death by suicide, please reach out for help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available at any time. 1-800-273-8255 Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and stories at mysoberlifepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers.